While you have your Bible, I would invite you to turn to Daniel chapter 5, and we're going to pray. We're going to look right at the Word of God, and this will lean us in towards, um, towards celebrating baptisms this morning. Let's, uh, let's pause and let's uh, pray. Lord, our loving King, we come to you again this morning because it's not a day that goes by that we don't need you. Uh, if it's not for your breath, breathing through our lungs right now, we wouldn't even be here. If it weren't for your food, for your provision of clothing and transportation and jobs and school and all this, if you didn't give us a brain that worked, Lord, where would we be? But here we are, and we are your children. We want to hear from you. We've come anticipating there's something you have to say to us this morning, and so we're eager to hear it. Lord, we don't know exactly what it is, but we're eager to hear what you have to say. And by faith, we even say, Lord, we want to obey, even if it's going to be hard. We want to obey whatever it is you're saying, whatever it is you're doing, that's what we want. And with that kind of mindset, we come to you to look at the word of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Daniel 5 is where we're going to be. The Bible, if you've never read it, is a, a book of wisdom and, and inspiration on so many levels, but it's so it's so deeply ingrained in the DNA of our culture, whether we believe it or not, that there are even phrases in the Bible that are in our culture, but we don't remember that the source is the Bible. Like you ever hear the phrase, they made it by the skin of their teeth. You know, you ever hear that? Someone made it. They just made it by the skin of their teeth. That's actually from the Bible, Job 19. It's, it's in there. And because it's there, it inspires a, kind of a phrase. We've probably heard, you know, they were made a scapegoat especially when someone goes down for something they really weren't ultimately responsible. So scapegoat's the person who takes the blame for someone else. Well, that's in the Bible, Leviticus 16. Um, you've heard this one before, the blind lead, it's like the blind leading the blind. That's a little more obvious. That's Jesus talking about the Pharisees, who he called blind, leading the blind. These are all phrases we've heard. There's nothing new under the sun. That's Ecclesiastes one, well, the reason I say it is because there's a phrase that we're going to look at this morning. The writing is on the wall. It's in the Bible, and it's about like, uh-oh, writing's on the wall. You're about to get, and then fill in the blank, usually fired, <laughs> because of what happens in this chapter. So let's just work our way through Daniel 5, starting in verse 1, and let's see what the writing on the wall is all about. King... Uh, Belshazzar gave a, a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. And while Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem and the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines, they drank from them. And as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and the gods of silver, bronze and iron and wood and stone. So we're going to read all of, of Daniel 5. If you've just stopped in, we're looking at it chapter by chapter. And what Daniel does here is genius. You've got to read chapter 4 and chapter 5 together because both are to give us a comparison. And I'm going to take it to the end and we'll come back. There are, there are two different ways of approaching God in his voice. There's two different paths. When, when God is communicating to you and you know it's him, 
What are you going to do? And you're invited when we read Daniel 4 and 5 to see two different paths that we can approach God. And I, I hope, man, I, I hope for you that you take the right path. So uh, Daniel's chapters 1 and 4 is about King Nebuchadnezzar. And then now 5 is about King Belshazzar. And he's going to compare both. King Nebuchadnezzar versus King Belshazzar. We'll keep reading here in a moment, but we're already beginning to see the contrast. I want us to think for a second, for those of you who remember the last few weeks. King Nebuchadnezzar is a great king. He expands the empire. Belshazzar isn't actually a true king. King is used to describe like the whole royal family. If you read from history, it's actually, there's a, his father, Nabonidus, is the king after Nebuchadnezzar. So you have Nebuchadnezzar, Nabonidus, and then his son, Belshazzar. And if you read, we, don't, we can't get into it, but there's all sorts of conflict in Nabonidus' empire. And he kind of leaves Babylon to another city, and he runs, and he hides, and he leaves his son in charge. So you have, you have two kinds of leaders. One's a legitimate king. The other one, Belshazzar, not so much. Nebuchadnezzar's a builder. If you read, he expands the empire so much so he conquers Jerusalem, takes the people of God out of their land. He's a successful builder. Belshazzar, what do we get from him? What's the first thing that we get? He loves his wine cellar. He lives in the Northwest, <laughs> right? He's a Northwest king, and he, he goes down to the Willamette Valley. He does his wine-tasting tours, and as he's got his limo with his thousand or so people. He's just going and he's partying. And he's partying so much, we're supposed to get a hint here, that he's drunk. And he's like, hey, I got a great idea. Forget your glasses. I've heard and I've seen these ancient goblets to the God. I can't remember what God it is, but Nebuchadnezzar got these goblets, these sacred things. Hey, Let's break out the best champagne and let's use some new glasses. He's a waster. One bills, the other one wastes. Again, there's two different ways you can live your life, legitimate or illegitimate. You can build, you can waste. And we see these in this, in this comparison. Nebuchadnezzar respects the people he conquers. It's okay to, to win and lead, even though Nebuchadnezzar isn't really following the God of Yahweh, the God of Yahweh. He's not really following the true God he does respect the faith of the people. And so he takes the articles out of the temple in Jerusalem. He brings them into the temple where he worships. But what this guy's done, Belshazzar, is absolutely ridiculous. Have you ever been to one of the, oh, if you've ever been to Europe, you've seen these huge uh, cathedrals. And in, in, a, in a cathedral, there's going to be there's going to be holy water when you go in a Catholic cathedral or even a regular church here. And that's, you know, for those who follow that tradition, that's, that's sacred water. It's not ordinary water. It's consecrated water. It's like you go in there and brush your teeth, wash your feet in holy water. Like, you wouldn't do that. If you're going to go into a mosque, even though you're not a Muslim and you're a lady, you're not going to go in your little strapless shirt and your little short, short shorts and flip-flops in a culture where women are to be appropriately dressed and covered so as not to make the men look at them rather than think about God. 
So there is something about having respect for other people. Nebuchadnezzar has respect, even for the people he conquers, but not, not Belshazzar. Look at verse 4 again. As they drank the wine, what, they, what does he do? Not only does he take these sacred objects, the most holy, just read the first five books of the Bible and you realize the rules around these objects. People died by treating these holy things as normal. And what does Belshazzar do? He praises the God of gold, silver, bronze, iron. He's mocking. So, so one lives out of respect. The other one's mocking. Look what happens. God's watching. Verse 5. Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall. And if you didn't know where the wall was, it was near the lampstand in the royal palace. Because that really helps. Now I know where the wall is. But we know that this happened in a real spot. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His, his face turned pale, duh. And he was so frightened, his legs became weak and his knees were knocking because he sees what looks like a hand writing on the wall. And that would freak you out too. And by the way, he is buzzed. Seriously buzzed. So he thinks he's hallucinating. So the king summons the enchanters, astrologers, diviners, and he says to the wise men of Babylon, hey, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple, have a gold chain placed around his neck. He's going to be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That's just weird. Hey, you don't get second. Here's why. Remember, Belshazzar is second. Nabonidus is actually in charge. So you have this leader who really doesn't have full authority, getting everyone drunk, disrespecting everyone, not following even in the traditions of his grandfather and his father. And he does what everyone does, tries to figure it out. Look at verse 8. Then all the king's uh, wise men came in, but they couldn't read the writing. Couldn't read it. They couldn't tell what the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified. His face grew more pale, and his nobles were baffled. Probably like, dude, why are you freaking out? You know, like, what's going on? It's like a big party, and, and here you are, scared about some writing on the wall by the lampstand in the corner of a closet. I don't know, what, what's the problem? Now, wisdom. <laughs> Verse 10, the queen. Thank you. Hearing the voices of the kings and nobles came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Kind of sign of respect. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your king, I'm sorry, your father, King Nebuchadnezzar. Again, remember, every time he says father, he's speaking like he's in the long line of kings. He's not his direct father. King Nebuchadnezzar appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, astrologers, diviners. And he did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding. And he also had the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, solve, solve difficult problems. He's like an intel engineer. Call for Daniel! And he will tell you what the writing means. Yes, ladies, thank you. The Bible finally validates what we all know. Lady steps in the room and says, time out. You guys don't know what you're doing. And the lady has an answer. And that is usually what happens in all of life. Well, it happens here. So ladies, feel free to nod. Say, the Bible says, I believe it. 
You should accept it. All right. Notice how, how Belshazzar treats Daniel. We, we're getting these comparisons. Got a legitimate king, eh, quasi-leader. You have someone who's a builder, someone who's a waster. You have someone who's respectful, someone who's absolutely looking down on everyone else. The question is, who are you going to be? I gotta keep going to the end. We'll, we'll get back to the middle. Verse 13. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king says to him, This is like tongue in cheek. Are you Daniel? One of the exiles. Slam. The queen has just said, This guy has the spirit of the gods in him. No, she's wrong. He's got the Holy Spirit working in his life. But the queen recognizes who this guy is. Aren't you one of those exiles that my father, the king, brought from Judah? Hey, you're in the king's presence. Know your place, Daniel. But I've heard, verse 14, you have the spirit of the gods in you, and inside intelligence, wisdom, and the wise men and chanters were brought before me to read this, writing and tell me what it means. They couldn't explain it. Now I've heard. You're able to give interpretation, solve difficult problems. If, and I don't know if he's being like legit or if he's mocking him. If you could read this writing, tell me what it means. You're going to be clothed in purple, the, the color of royalty. You're going to have a gold chain placed around your neck, a sign of hip-hop. And you're going to be made the third highest ruler. Well, don't mess with the Bible. It is what it is. And you're going to be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Again, you're going to get a spot under me. You see what's going on here. Now we're going to get a contrast. In chapter 4, when Daniel speaks with Nebuchadnezzar, he's like totally respectful. Oh, great king, king, please, I plead with you. Listen to God the Most High. Look at how he treats Belshazzar. Verse 17, Daniel answered the king, you can keep your gifts for yourself. Give your rewards to somebody else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Now, before he tells him what it says and what it means, notice the little history lesson that Daniel's going to give this king. Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty, greatness, glory, and splendor. In other words, Belshazzar, you don't even get it. There's one God who gives power to people, and you've been drinking your wine to the wrong God. Verse 19, because of his, the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, Nebuchadnezzar was deposed from his royal throne, and he was stripped of his glory. He's giving him a history lesson. Verse 21, he was driven away from people, given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys. He ate grass like an ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven. In other words, he was homeless. Until... He acknowledged that the most high God, he's speaking of the God of Israel. Yahweh is his name. Now remember, Daniel is living in a land, Babylon, where they didn't recognize the most high God as the ruler of all. So he tells them, the most high God is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and sets over them 
anyone he wishes. You see, what you don't know, because it doesn't say it in it, is there's been a 20-year gap. A couple things going on that's interesting. Daniel has not been, he's not been sharing with royalty for about 20 years since Nebuchadnezzar left the throne. And Nabonidus became the uh, king, which is really interesting. It's a side note of how we can live our lives in light of the seasons that God put us in. For a long season, Daniel's like top. He's like second in command. He's ruling. He's leading. But then there's a regime change. And Nabonidus obviously doesn't bring Daniel into the mix because otherwise Belshazzar would have never acted this way which is a little side note to tuck away. There are seasons of life where God's going to open doors for you. Hear me, friend. Make the most of it. When you get an opportunity that God clearly opens up, do not even think that you're going to get the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. You're not that good. 80, 90. You're not even getting 100 more years. You're not going to have that season forever. Daniel is faithful in a broken world. He's faithful whenever God gives him a word to speak. He speaks it. And there comes a day where Daniel doesn't have anybody to talk to. And Daniel goes from the top into obscurity. And in seasons of life, God will lift you up and God will move you sideways. He'll put you in the spotlight. Then he'll tuck you away in a nice closet for another day. And here's the cool part. What we see from Daniel, he is faithful, 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 faithful. He's faithful when he's in public. He's faithful when he's in private. We're going to see that uh, when we look at Daniel chapter 6 and we look at the prayer life of Daniel. We look at the decree that is, is given about Daniel and, and the ability to pray in public or in private and who you pray to. We'll get to that in a couple of weeks. But what I want us to remember is that Daniel lives faithful to God no matter where he is in opposition to people like Belshazzar. There are just going to be people around you that are going to live loose and they're going to do well. I think we all know people right now, right now, you know people who are ignoring Jesus. They neglect the Bible. They don't think about the things of God. And guess what? They're getting better. Things are going higher. They have more accolade, more cash, seemingly more happiness and more joy than anyone else. My friend, let this remind you, there is a God who sees and there's a God who knows and there's a God who's gonna bring everyone to an account. Now here's the cool part. Daniel says to, to this guy, he's like, look, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what it's all about because I know God. But you can keep all your stuff. By the way, Daniel's in his 80s. <laughs> in your 80s, you just don't need stuff anymore. We're in your 80s. What are you going to give me, a purple robe? <laughs> Look, i got a closet, okay? I don't, I don't need anything. But he is going to be faithful to speak the word of God. Now, Daniel watched the former king Repented. Remember Nebuchadnezzar on multiple occasions, he wasn't a full follower of Yahweh. But when he heard a word through Daniel from God, his heart was repentant. He did have a change. Was it complete? We don't know. We don't know the full story. Where is Nebuchadnezzar right now? Is he with King Jesus? I, I, I honestly don't know, and I'm not going to judge. But what we do know from what, what we're told is there are points where this High and lofty king does turn to God when he hears a word that is right. And what you do not see in Belshazzar is that kind of heart. 
Again, I already gave you the end. I'm going to give it to you again. There are two ways to live your life. Whenever you're confronted with something that you realize is right and is true and you know it's from God, you and I have the opportunity to lean in on that and respond to that and to, to ask God with humility and repentance, oh my gosh, I'm totally off. Not bargaining with God. Like, yeah, I think you got a little point there. That doesn't work very well. But to say to God, okay, you're right. And I'm wrong. And I turn to you. God of mercy, I ask for mercy. God of love, I ask for love. Or you could be more like Belshazzar. Well, we'll keep reading. Verse, um, verse 24. Look, look at what happens here. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is what the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. In other words, no one else could even read it or understand it. This is very interesting. Those words, mene, mene, uh, tekel, parson, are actually the words of coins. This is intriguing. I don't know if the others couldn't understand how God writes. Maybe God's penmanship is a little different than, you know, they don't even teach cursive anymore in schools for those of you who learned cursive. So there's a whole generation of people who don't know, know how to read like script, okay, which is irrelevant anyway because we're all typing. But there is, there is a whole generation that's not even learning it. This is funny. They have words that are in their language, but they can't even read it. Many, many, this, it would be like saying quarter, dime, nickel. These are like, this is like currency. They couldn't get it. In other words, when God is speaking, it may be obvious to the person who's hearing from God, but confusing to someone else, which is why, this is really weird, you can read the words of the Bible and not get it. Or you can read the words of the Bible, inspired by God. This translation happens to be in English. It's .4 font. So I have it for show, but I actually can't read it anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can read at least a third of the words. But if it's in your pocket and it's small, it looks good. And it's black and gray. But you, you can read the words and not get what the words mean. You ever, ever been there? You can read it and not get it. And here, they get words that were in their actual language. These are real words. But when God is trying to communicate, only one person can get it, the person who's filled with the Spirit of God. In other words, there's such good news for every one of us here. If you have chosen to follow the way of Jesus, you, my friend, have been given the Spirit of God who's the author of the words. And so like Daniel can know the words on the wall because he has the Spirit of God at work in him. You have the Spirit of God working in you. You can read the words and know what the words mean. Doesn't mean you always will. Because like, Jose, I read the Bible and I don't know what it means. Doesn't mean we can understand it all immediately or interpret it all. But I am thoroughly convinced you do not need a PhD in theology to know what God is saying because God's not hiding from you. What you need is an open mind and an open heart and an open calendar Amen. to hear. If you're not looking, you're not going to find. If you're not knocking, doors aren't going to be open. And if you're not, if you're not pursuing you're never going to be close to where God is in your soul. Although, by the way, God's right here with us. But you're never going to sense it. Daniel seems to have this life with God where whether he's at home or he's in front of the king, he gets it. And so he's going to tell him, here's what the words mean. Verse, verse 26. Amene, 
this is what it means. It was like the name of a coin. But he's like, no, God has numbered, play on words. It, it means a, a number for a coin. No, 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 no. He's numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. In other words, you thought it was a quarter. It's like a penny. It's almost over. You're broke. Tekel, you've been weighed on the scales. Again, play on words. It's a coin. And you've been found wanting. When you look at the scales of your life, they're off. Perez, your kingdom is divided and is given to the Medes, another power, and the Persians, another power. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed with purple, given a gold chain, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. There's a contrast here. I want us to see. Maybe we don't remember from the last chapter. Anyone remember how long Nebuchadnezzar is given when he gets a word from God to actually act on it? Anyone remember? A year. Very good. Well done. He's given a year. How much is Belshazzar given? Zip. Nothing. It's happening tonight. And look at what we get. End of verse 30. And then the thir verse 31. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, play on words, he's not really the king, was slain. He didn't just die of a heart attack, although after seeing the writing on the wall, he's probably halfway there. But he was slain. Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So party's over, no pun intended. What happened? How did it happen? What's going on here? What we get outside of the Bible here, because like, that's it? Yeah. If you read ancient history, Babylonian history, you find out October the 12th, 539 BC. Everyone knows this day, right? No, of course not. Babylon was invaded by a surprise attack at a banquet at night. It's in ancient history. This happened. And by the way, Cyrus the Persian, right, with Darius the Mede, the general, Cyrus the Persian had attacked Nabonidus right before this. So now it's going to add some color. While Belshazzar is having the party, wine's flowing, in another part of the empire, he knows his dad, Nabonidus, is being destroyed. This adds a whole new color to this party. So why does he throw a party? I mean, was it used to rally his leaders? Because, like, they're coming towards Babylon. They've already taken out dad. He knows this is, is he going to try to rally the troops? Or is it like eat and drink and party because tomorrow we might not be here? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But here's what we do get. For whatever reason he throws this party, God knows what's going on. And God speaks to him right before Cyrus the Persian, Darius the Mede, right before they come in and sweep in and take over the empire. He gets a word from God. This is no accident. Now, if you read the Bible seriously, this is disturbing. This is totally disturbing. So you're telling me that this God of love who sends his son Jesus takes out Belshazzar, like says, I've counted the scales, you're off. I looked at your life, you've found wanting, you're gone. And the answer is yes. This is disturbing, but God clearly here is the one who is saying, through these other empires, your days and the days of your dad are over. over. Okay, now this is a series called Daniel Faithful in a Broken World. So 
We're gonna look, we looked at history. We looked at what happened. Now let's get to what's happening right now. Um, what are we to do with this? How are we to live faithful? What do we learn from this comparison? Nebuchadnezzar and the way he approaches God. Belshazzar and the way he approaches God. How are we and when are we to speak up? When are we to listen? How do we, how do we live in the footsteps of Daniel and try to just do our part where God puts us? How do we live out seasons, 20 years, where we don't see Daniel doing anything? And somehow he doesn't give up hope on God and God gives him another chance even in his 80s. I think there's one driving thing. I just want to look at one. One driving thing that you and I can pull away from this, even though on some levels it's a little disturbing to think that God is the one who lifts up people and removes them. Here's what we can know with confidence. God's judgment can be trusted. I think that's what we get from this comparison. God's judgment can be trusted. So why does he seem to give Nebuchadnezzar more time? And Bel. Belshazzar doesn't seem to get like a warning, 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 warning. Like even no matter how old your car is, there's the gas needle if it still works. You get the little thing at the end, even if you don't get a light going on, or, you know, ding, or, you know, some voice saying, please fill me, or whatever you get, or you're electric, and that's another story altogether. What, there's, there's, you know, there's a gauge, right? And you can see when things are running low and it's time to fill up. And it seems like Belshazzar doesn't, at least we don't know of any, any instances where he gets a chance to repent. Here's what we need to know. We don't get the details in either king, all of them, but God's judgment can be trusted. So when God steps in and God is at work and God raises up and God writes on a wall and God speaks through a prophet and God does all these things, what I can bank on is I know my little sliver of information and that's all I know. So I can't even trust my own judgment of the situation because I don't know everything. Ever been in that situation where you're asked to, to lead and you feel like you don't have all the facts? It's kind of important. You're, you're running a company and you're trying to figure out why sales are dipping. Well, you can blame the sales force and you can blame the product design. You can blame, 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 blame. Well, until you have all the facts, it's hard to really analyze what to do next. Well, God always has all the facts. And that's what we're supposed to remember. My faithfulness to God is just simply based on his ability to be trusted. God is trustworthy. God always does what's right. And when he judges, he judges because it's time. And when he shows mercy, we can trust that there's a reason he shows mercy. When he says you get another chance, we can trust him. When he says time's up, it's over, we can trust him. I don't have to know it all. In other words, God sees, God knows, God speaks, God acts. God sees, God knows, God speaks, God acts. God sees, God knows, God uh, speaks, God acts. God knows, he, he's aware of all of this. He's in full knowledge. And so if that's true, here's what I have to ask. What is God saying right now? If God really knows and sees and speaks and he acts and he's involved in his world, let's make it personal and then we want to celebrate because there are people in our community who've chosen to see their own lives for what they are. Good, made in the image of God, broken because of our sin, but God's hope is in Jesus. There are people who are going to be baptized. We want to celebrate that. They have chosen to 
hear God's voice, so to speak, to see what Jesus has done in his birth and in his life and his death and his resurrection that we're going to celebrate in a few weeks. There are people who see Jesus as the king of the universe and they've chosen to follow him. They've made the right choice, but we have to ask, what is God saying right now that we're not responding to? Let's personalize this for a moment. I want you, I want you to think about this in your own soul. What is God nudging what is God reminding you about? What is God saying? You ever been in that spot where you feel like no matter where you go, the same message keeps going up? You read a Bible verse and then you listen to a song and then you read an article online or saw a post and you're like, that's so weird how all these things are kind of coming together. Or you're just laying in bed at night and you realize in your gut, this is not right. And so what you do is you do like what I do. You just try to suppress it and just say, I'm tired and go to bed. And maybe that's God because often he's speaking to Nebuchadnezzar at night when he doesn't have his advisors and he doesn't have his robe on and he's not like the king. It's just him and a bed. And God gets his attention. It, what is God? God is communicating with us all of the time. It is through the word of God Every word of God is flawless, the Bible says about itself. And so, so you say, well, I don't know if God is speaking to me right now at all. I've never had that experience. And I'm not saying you get writing on the wall or you get a voice or you get a vision. Not everyone gets that. And that's actually not the point. Every word of God is flawless. It's already here. So you can say with confidence, God is speaking to you right now. The question is, are you listening at all? Are you listening? And if you're starting to lean in, let me just invite you this morning. He may be nudging you. He may be prodding you. He's guiding you. He's being patient with you. He's like, this is going to happen, but I'm giving you time. You, my friend, do not want to end like Belshazzar. And that, that's the real warning. You say, I didn't come to church for a warning. You get one anyway. Bonus. Warning. If you don't listen to Nebuchadnezzar-like responses, if you're not listening to God and saying, like, like Nebuchadnezzar, like, oh, I will bow, then there will come a time in your life, my friend, where you will have no other opportunity. Your time's going to run out. And Jesus in his love gives you a day called today. You get today. You don't get tomorrow. Now, tomorrow may be a gift, the Lord provides it, but there's no guarantee of tomorrow. And so the two chapters are meant to drive you and I. The writing is on the wall. God has already spoken in his son, Jesus. You say, and Jesus came to rescue your today. And so if you live your life just thinking, I got all this time, all this time, putting it off, putting it off, putting it off, then you're not heeding the warning of Daniel's four and five. There was a king who said yes to God today. There was a king who ignored God today, and he got, frankly, what he deserved. If you snub God your whole life, then at the end of your life, you get what you wanted, life without God. And that's not his design for you. And so he sends messengers. He sends the Bible. And right now, you can say, well, I don't know if I hear from God. You have the scriptures 
And if you follow Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. So you, my friend, and I, my friend, we can respond in the right way. So let me just ask you the question that will drive our singing, our celebration of baptism, our going to the bread and the cup. How are you responding to Jesus right now? Is there something that Jesus has been nudging you towards? Have you been listening? Maybe it's, maybe it's just the starting line. You've been hearing this good news about this God who loves you so much that even though we've rebelled against him, he sends himself. He comes in. No one can rescue us from sin. So God steps in in the person of Jesus and takes and bears the weight of my guilt and my shame and my sin. Maybe the right response right now is to say, Jesus, thank you. And I want what you alone can offer. I want life. Life that lasts forever. I want, I, want a, I want a new start. I want to be forgiven. I want the Holy Spirit. I want to live for you. Maybe it's about forgiveness. Maybe there's an issue with another person or people. And God has been stirring you with love. Look, the person who has been forgiven much loves much. So maybe God is reminding you, yes, that person did, and yes, that person shouldn't have, and yes, you have the right to. And all those things are true. I'm not saying they're not true, but I'm saying what's truer is if you've received grace and mercy, you and I ought to extend it. So maybe what God is saying to you, rather than trying to be right, we should seek to find a right spot to make things right with that person or at least release them to God and stop hating them as we do. Maybe it's to get baptized. You've been following Jesus, but you haven't obeyed. Repent and be baptized for the, for the forgiveness of your sins, Acts tells us. And maybe it's time just to be baptized. I don't know what it is. It may be something different. It may be a habit that God's trying to invade. It might be an attitude. It could be big. It could be small. Here's the point. God is saying something, I believe, to everybody. So how am I responding to what God is saying in my life? Uh, this morning, you're invited to step in. We want to create space for you to identify and recognize, yes, God, this is you. And then release that. And as an act of worship, say to God, okay. Uh, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to go your way. And in my heart, at least, today I'm saying, I hear you, and I want to take the steps to live for you, whatever that looks like. I'm going to invite you to stand on your feet, if you wouldn't mind, and we're going to worship. We're going to sing songs of praise to Jesus. Uh, multiple responses this morning. If you, as a result of something you heard today, you say, you know what, I need prayer. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ or I'm struggling with the issue, I'm hurting, whatever the case may be. Every week we have a prayer team. And so when people go to the tables, feel free at any point during the rest of this gathering, just look to your right. There's a sign over there that says prayer room. It's right across the hall. There are friends, ladies there, guys there, young and old to pray with you. Maybe that's the right response is to just be open and honest and say, I need, I need prayer. Uh, it could be that you're ready to give your life to Christ. And I would just say, if that's the case, either talk to someone in the prayer room or, or frankly, just go to the baptismal and say, look, I, I want to be born anew and I want to follow Jesus. And we'd love to, to baptize you this morning. 
I'm gonna pause and just give you a moment. You probably thought of that thing or things. I'm gonna give you a moment just to cry out to God. And then uh, after that moment's done, uh, the team's gonna lead us in worship. We're gonna sing songs of praise. God, we're gonna silence the noise so that we can hear from you. Lord, uh, as you hear your children cry out to you, I thank you that you're gonna answer their prayers. You're gonna meet them in their spots of brokenness, that you're gonna bring them Bring them to life, to eternal life, we pray. All right, just release that to God, and in a moment, the worship team will lead us on.